Yes, yes, yes. We are back. We are back. We are back. This is Rob Wallace. This is the Zero Noise Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. This is where we engage in progressive discussions about music, life, and everything in between with our guests. This podcast is brought to you by Grove Studios, the 24-7 artist and production workspace. Whether rehearsing for your next show, producing a new song, doing a, doing a podcast, or shooting a video, Grove Studio is set up for the independent creator. Right now, Grove is offering subscriptions that can help you get your project or your next creation cracking. To learn more, visit GroveStudios.space. This podcast is also brought to you by Leon Speakers. Leon Speakers with all your home audio needs. You can check them out at LeonSpeakers.com. It's also sponsored by the Amplify Fellowship. We are getting ready for the Amplify Kickback Series that's going to be starting. For more information about the Amplify Fellowship, you can go to amplify fellowship. Dot com. Today I'm rocking the hoodie by oh, I Am In Demand. You can check them out at IamInDemand.com. It is an organization that is intended to support the growth of African-American male teachers and get more African-American male teachers in the classroom. So I definitely support that. This podcast is produced by Project Plugin, My State Marketing, and it is shared with all streaming platforms through Captivate. So, and of course, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Help us out. Help us help us meet our targets. We're trying to grow. You're a part of that. Thank you for kicking it with us so far. Um, so why are we here? Uh, my life's work is to lift music and hip hop specifically as both the historical subtext and the product of American culture, a medium of liberation and the soundtrack for the search for black freedom collectively and individually. The hip hop album is a primary source of critical discourse about life in America by those who create hip hop. Therefore, we will not only discuss albums that are commonly regarded as classics or close to classics. I want to know about the music that changed the way our guests and friends thought. Along the way, we'll explore how music speaks to how to who we are and who we desire to be. Art is not valuable if it does not challenge, if it does not ask, if it does not respond. We acknowledge that music decorates time as art decorates space. I ask dope people to come and kick it with me. They talk about who they are, who they've been and what they do. I also ask them to be ready to discuss an album that played a role in them becoming them. You will not hear the music we will discuss, obviously, for many reasons, but you will never hear it the same afterwards. Therefore, this is a music podcast, but it is a people's podcast. And today, the person is Theo Ellis of Pro Sound Media. What up, though, Theo? What up, though? Welcome, welcome. We're welcoming Thank Theo you, Ellis in today. And the album that we will be discussing today is Nas's Illmatic. But first, we got to talk to Theo. Theo, what's going what's on good? with you? Hey, man, what's good with you? You know what I'm saying? Blessed. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. And, um, you know, looking forward to this, man. Looking forward to getting into it. Fantastic. Now, now, me and Theo, we've been bouncing. We've been bouncing off some similar walls now for a couple of years. And we keep having these opportunities to potentially collaborate. So it's very important to me to have him here and talk about the fantastic things that he's involved in and the things that he does. So um, we want to first talk about, I guess the first question is, who is Theo Ellis? <laughs> Uh, you know, that's me. <laughs> so, Clearly. Me, uh, it, you know, my beginnings um, started as a DJ, you know, uh, you know, DJ speed to be exact, you know, and uh, 
that that name was born out of a, a combination of a couple things. You know, I, you know, I, I've been DJing since uh, roughly around 14. You know what I'm saying? Right. Begged and begged and begged my parents for turntables and mixer, and you know what I'm saying? They eventually gave in to my whim. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know, start DJing at 14 for me. That was always where I wanted to be was the DJs. You know, going back to my early, earliest, you know, joints that 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 you know everybody else, you know going back to run dmc and everybody else that wants to be you know run or dmc i want to be jam master j you know uh jazzy jeff and fresh prince you know so everybody well everybody want to be fresh prince i want to be jazzy jeff you know what i mean like so so for me that's where my journey starts um and by the time i was 16 uh i had my own business you know what i'm saying i'm 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 getting hired i got the contracts for the local school district I'm DJing all the all the dances and whatnot. You know what I mean? I'm making bank, you know? And uh, uh, to the point that by the time I got to my senior year, I DJed my own senior prom. I got hired to DJ my own senior prom. So while everybody else spent, you know, 500,000 bucks on limos and tuxes and all this, Ooh. I made that. You know what I'm right. saying? Right, right. It was still the coolest cat at the, at the I'm the DJ. Right. <laughs> you know so, right. Did you take a date to the prom too? I did. I did. And she stayed, you know what I'm saying? She, hey, she stayed beside me and she'd go out mingling and stuff, but she mostly was hanging out with me. You know what I mean? Because she, again, was also the coolest person at the prom because she went to DJ. You know what there I'm saying? There you go. So, right, right. So, that's you know, but, that's uh, but yeah, you know, that's my, my humble beginnings are as a DJ. I still DJ uh, special events here and there. I still mm -hmm. got turntables. I still got all my records. Uh, I still get down. Um, but yeah, so for me, uh, that's where it starts. Then eventually, um, you know, part of the allure of a DJ was the fact that they're in the background, right? Um, so then I start learning about, you know, production and, and whatnot, audio engineering and this. Ooh, there's a way for me to be involved and be even further removed. I don't even got to be on stage now. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, did that, you know, um, did an internship, um, uh, was fortunate enough to, to, do an internship at uh, Studio A in Dearborn, uh, you know, classic, iconic venue. Um, and this was back in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Um, started learning a, bit, a little bit about the music business then, uh, you know, around ninety-one or so, something like that. I read uh, Donald Passman's "All You Need to Know About the Music uh, Business," uh, okay. the first edition. Okay, which that book is currently on its tenth edition. You know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, and I actually have the ninth edition. So, okay. uh, but but uh, but the point is, um, you know, got into production, got into engineering. Uh, my first job there was tasked to build their sample library because this is when sampling was really first starting to hit, you know, mainstream. There still weren't lawsuits or anything of that about it, and it was still kind of a free for all wild wild west. If you had a sample, you sampled wherever you want. So right. they uh, they tasked me with building their sample library. So. All day long, I just my job is just to find different things to sample, different one second, two second loops or whatever that we can sample, or even uh, drum kicks, you know, drum kicks, snares, hi hats, anything that we could just sample to build a library so that when we wanted, that when they wanted to produce something, they had sounds readily available that they could uh, access that no one else would have. You know? Wait, 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 uh, stop for a minute. Hold on for a minute. I got a question. So you talked about Run DMC. When was the first time that hip hop? When was the first time that hip hop really captured your attention? Oh, like you said, you had a, you said you had brothers that did a brother that did right? 
No, 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 brother DJ. I, I was a DJ, you know. Right, you, you, I know you DJ, but was it like, like, why do you think you attached yourself to hip hop so quickly? Uh, so just to love music. Just to love of music. I grew up in a very musical home. Okay. Uh, my parents always, always, always had music on. You know what I mean? From Al Green, Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, all the good stuff, right? Teddy P, the whole nine, right? Okay. Uh, four Tops, Temps, all that stuff, right? Like, so that's what I grew up on. Uh, my dad, actually, uh, when he was in college, um, he was a, a, a booking agent, um, you know, had his little side hustle, uh, throwing gigs and stuff um, on campus. He actually booked, like, Bob Seger back in the day and some other acts like that. So just, you know, the, the musical uh, bug, if you will, I think is just something that was in my veins. And uh, I, like I said, always being surrounded by music my whole life, uh, always was hanging out by the turntable. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you know the, the big old <laughs> ones from back in the 70s and 80s. You know, right. And I'm sitting there looking at all the record covers, yeah. uh, you know, listening and, and uh, you know, just admiring them. Some of them, especially when you think like uh, uh, one of my favorite album covers, even to this day, is uh, Elton John's uh, Captain Fantastic. Okay. Right. If you look at that album cover, bro, there is so much stuff going on in that album. Like it's crazy. And I used to, as a child, I would put that album on and just look at the album cover, stare at it hours on end, always trying to find something new that I didn't spot the last time I looked at it. Mm-hmm. Because that's where that album cover is. It's just this giant collage of something that probably somebody, you know, uh, uh, with an enhanced mind state put together. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> you know? But as a child, you know, I don't know about that. I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever. Look at this. You know right. what I mean? Like so and uh so yeah, man, I just always been uh always been lured to it, always been drawn to the how and the why. Right. You know? Was always a fan of the liner notes. Who did this? Who played bass on this? Who played drums? Who produced this? What's a producer even do? All that type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? So that's Absolutely. just yeah, that's just what I was always drawn to. We make connections through music. Um, one thing I, I always say, like I said a few minutes ago, is that music decorates time. And so the connections that we make to music starts really early, mm-hmm. really early in life uh, with the physical product that we hold in our hands, as well as what we listen to and what we imagine while we listen to it. So you 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 DJing, you're building sample libraries. Like, what was the next step for you? What what? Because you're you're so well rounded, you know you're building sample libraries, and then what happened next? For me, um, it was you know wanting to produce my own stuff, which never really came to you know fruition. Uh, you know the closest I got was from building a sample library. The next stage was they would let me uh, practice my mixing skills. On songs that they have that they're already done. I mean, this one's in the can. They've sent it off to the studio, do whatever. And now you just go ahead and play with levels and get used to, you know, getting your ear trained for where levels should sit, what's a good level, what's a bad level, things like this. Um, so, so I was able to get my mixing chops up a little bit, um, learn about editing because again, this is, you know, we're talking two inch reel to reel tapes, things like this. So, so learning how to, you know, use a grease pencil and a razor blade, you know, those became my friend. Um, and, uh, and I was actually pretty good at, at doing those splices, um, you know, and, and getting them pretty spot on. There wasn't too much gap or, or too short of a gap, you know. Um, so I was actually pretty decent with edits. Um, but but yeah, uh, for me, I mean, 
I went to uh, that's where around because this is all during high school, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm on the radio station at, at our local high school. You know, I took the I took the communications class. So I was on the radio station there, but you couldn't play nothing. They they wouldn't allow us uh, back then. The radio station wasn't allowed to play anything that the commercial radio stations were playing, which was kind of cool because I could play an album, for example, like a Nas or something that nobody's playing, nobody ever heard of, because right. that fit the criteria. Right. right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, um, all of that's happening simultaneously while I'm in high school. I graduate, then I go to Specs Howard, right? Because at that time, I figured my career would be in radio, right? Um, and uh, out of Specs Howard, ended up ended up um, working at a couple of radio stations: one in Port Huron, one mm-hmm. in uh, one in Detroit, ninety-nine five, which mm-hmm. at the time was the Fox. Um, and I was producing not as on-air talent, but I was the producer of both those shows, right? Which mm-hmm. at that time for me, uh, being the producer, what meant I was the board operator. Somebody else did all the talk and I pushed all the buttons, right? So, right, um, right, which right. I was perfectly cool with because again, I never want to be the limelight guy, right? So I'll stay behind here for the, hey, I'll be the man, the puppeteer, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, right. everybody go look at that man. Don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That was me. <laughs> you know I mean? Right, right. So, so yeah, so uh, so yeah, that's you know from there I, I just kept on DJing and, and ultimately, you know, did start producing the stuff on my own later on down the line, you know, at, at the crib or whatever, or you know, in somebody else's studio or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, man, it's just uh, been a, a labor of love. It's been a passion of mine. Music, creating music, has always been. You know, I you know even going back to like. Eighth grades, so I took three years of band, so I read and write music, all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like everything that that to where I'm at, it's all been a culmination of a lot of different things that led up to you know all the different parts are the you know what make me up. You know they're the sum of the whole, right? Absolutely. And uh, uh, so that's what what makes me up is all those different things uh, is what put me in the position of where I am to be able to you know know the certain things I do and look at things in a certain perspective that somebody else may not because they don't have all of those experiences. Right. Right. And, and I think that's what makes pro sound media, what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't be a bit of a one-stop shop without the vast spectrum of knowledge that you have. Can you kind of walk us through the beginnings of pro sound media and how that started? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it started as Mudbone Studios. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it started, you know, really. Um, as I started getting producing and, and, and um, you know, getting you know better at it and, and things like this and where people would want to buy the beach or, or whatever the case may be, uh, myself and uh, my cousin, uh, he also had a, a passion for music. Uh, we said we were going to do this thing, Mudbone Studios. And it was called Mudbone after the character, the Richard Pryor character, Absolutely. Mudbone. You know, uh, we're both big fans of Richard Pryor. Grew up listening, you know, listen to his albums and all that stuff. So, so that's what that's where it first kind of started, Mudbone Studios. But Mudbone Studios didn't really do anything other than you know that was just we had a name. That's what we were calling ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, um, going back to the the early nineties, right. Um, when I'm in the studios interning and whatnot, at that same time, there's a lot going on in the music industry, right? Um, that's, you know, at some point, like I said, when I first started, there was no 
you know, it was all good to sample, no issues. Well, then slowly lawsuits start popping up, right? And slowly everybody's got to sit back and go, whoa, wait a minute, what, what, what's happening here? And so, I mean, from seeing what happened, you know, everybody's seeing the movie uh, uh, straight out of Compton. Right. I lived through that. I mean, I wasn't with those guys, but what I'm saying is I lived during that time frame when that stuff was playing out in real time. I'm watching it play out in real time. These guys get screwed over out of their, their stuff. Again, I told you, I read Donald Passman's All You Need to Know About the Music Business when it first came out for that very reason. You know what I mean? Like, as I'm seeing what happened to NWA, as I'm seeing what happened to Luther Campbell and Two Live Crew, them getting sued uh, on multiple fronts, you know, first the obscenity. Then from that, it was the, uh, you know, uh, the, the Bruce Springsteen, you know, hitting them for the band in the USA and all that stuff like that, right? So I'm seeing all of this stuff play out, you know, and I'm going, I got to make sure that don't happen to me. So I start making sure that I'm at least understanding the basics of the business of music, at least understanding the basics of publishing, the basics of licensing, the basic, well, basics of copyrights. What, what, what do we do if we do sample? How do we get that clear? What do we got to do? All these type of things, you know? Um, and so when you fast forward to where I'm doing my mud bone or doing my own stuff, at that point, I have some base knowledge of what I need to do and how I need to move, right? I'm making sure all of my stuff is registered with ASCAP. Uh, any of my friends that we, if they worked on my stuff, hey, we got to get you registered with ASCAP. We got to make sure we have these ducks in a row so we don't end up like the brothers before us. Right. You know? And that was a big part of, of uh, my whole movement was always making sure that my ducks were in a row. Uh, you know, I got my samples cleared. You know, the first project uh, that I, you know, uh, executive producing and looked over was uh, a group that I was with called the Lyricists, which technically I am still with it. We are still together. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, yeah, it's a group called the Lyricists, uh, two MCs, Ill Tone and Ryan B. And, uh, you know, for that project, I made sure to get all of our samples cleared. You know, I got the samples cleared. I reached out, made that happen, made sure they were registered, made sure everything, all the songs were registered because, you know, last thing I wanted was, hey, what if this blows up? And then we get hit with all these lawsuits. I was going to make sure that didn't happen. And, uh, and that's the way I've always uh, moved within this industry is making sure that all my ducks are in a row, no matter what it is. If there's one thing I've learned about this industry is if, if there's something you don't know, you can learn it. It's that simple. You know what I mean? Like even when I first started out uh, sampling, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm working on, on a Ensonic EPS 16 plus, right? Classic board. Love it. You know, everybody loves those nowadays. You know, it's the precursor to the ASR-10 that everybody loves, like Kanye and everybody else. But the Insonic is the board before that. And, um, you know, first time I sat down at that board, it's intimidating as hell. It's not an easy, it's not like today. I mean, you got a phone. Yeah, right. You press one button, do a voice record. Well, you technically just sampled something. You know what I mean? By pressing one button, that easy, right? Right. right. This was not like that. <laughs> you know, you have to set parameters, start and end times, all this stuff like this, you know. It was, it was intimidating. But... I learned it, you know, and, and any aspect of it, mixing. I remember first time seeing a mixing board. I don't know what all these different channels and all this stuff does, but then I learned that it's just one strip duplicated, right? You yep. know, so 48 channel mixing board, it's just yep. one channel, but there's 48 of the same one, you know, but you yep. don't know that when you first sit down. You're just like, what are all these buttons? What does this do? What does that do? You know, and so just going into all of this, man, it's, it's, if there's anything you don't know, just seek it out and learn it, and, and you can learn it. It's not rocket science. It really, really is. And you've always been willing to give up, you know, to give up game. 
Yeah. As long as I've known you, you've sat in web. I mean, you've sat in seminars, you've taught. Absolutely. I think, I think that there are people who are, I mean, and there are people who can take the time to learn Pro Tools and make errors. And we learn from making mistakes, you know, it, when you're learning something new, absolutely. But I think that people fear making mistakes so much in terms of paperwork that they would rather engage if they have the resources to be able to pay somebody to make sure that those things are taken care of or they just kind of leave it to the side it's very interesting to me i did a study a couple of years ago when i started my program where i sent out a survey to any producer that was over the age of 18 and you know they talked about how much of their skill set came from watching youtube and how much of their skill set learned from you know, they, they recognize the fact that they could make 100 beats and 99 of them never leave their hard drive. And one of them does something and, and, and they can deem themselves successful. But they also said, you know, over over 75 percent of the people who was who, who responded to the survey did not were not affiliated with a performance rights organization. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Uh, the majority of the clients I run into. Uh, you'd be surprised. And I mean, people that have had major successes. There's there's clients of mine that have, that, that have came to me and they've written you know, multi-platinum songs, whatever. Uh, they've done some amazing stuff and either don't have their PRO affiliation or if they do, they may have signed up with the PRO but not registered any of their songs, all kinds of stuff. Or they've registered them wrong, incorrectly. Uh, we see it all over here. That, that is for sure. Um, and, you know, for me, Again, it's part of my passion, man. It's always been to empower the musicians, empower the artists around me. Most importantly, empower my people. Right. Because again, going back to the NWA, you know, Jerry Hellers, you know what I'm saying, right? And I'm like, oh, I see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't, we're not having that. <laughs> right. so, so for me, it's really always been important, uh, like I said, to empower the people around me. You know, anybody, like you said, I, I'm, I'm always more than willing to share whatever I know. I don't claim to be the end all, be all. I'm constantly learning every day myself. You know, I, I stay a student of the game. Um, I'm always trying to surround myself with, with people that have more knowledge than I do so I can soak up some of their game. And when I soak that game up, I'll pass it on to whoever else wants to listen as well. Um, and, you know, another part of that comes from just how I got brought in, which was I was fortunate to have mentors, right? Like I, I was fortunate to have uh, you know, uh, a guy named Jeff Akers that when he, you know, they got me the internship, you know, at, at, and had his own studios as well uh, and worked very closely alongside of him. And, you know, he at one time was a very successful recording artist, um, which had toured internationally, you know, was was a person that, and now mind you, this is, you're talking, this is back in the 80s, you know, I mean, early 90s. You know, to have to have done an international tour in Japan and China and all these different places like that, that's a big, big deal. You first of all, you're not doing it as an independent artist. You know what I mean? Like that's first and foremost. You're not doing that without some type of late major label support, you know. And he had that, you know. Um, and uh so but I was very fortunate that he was also somebody that never wanted to be a slave to the labels. He always wanted to be his own label, he always wanted to start his own, you know, he wanted to be the the, the Def Jams and, and, you know, all these, uh, you know, the bad boys and all this before those companies were even there. You know, that's what he wanted to do. So, um, you know, having worked around him, 
really helped me understand, you know, the importance of the fact that this is a business, you know, that everything we do has to be accounted for, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know, all the money that goes out, there has to be a way to find to bring that money back in, right? And so, uh, you know, we're not just doing it for the sake of art, you know, even though it is art and yes, you know, we're here to be creative and, and to, to give a, a piece of ourselves to the world. At the end of the day, it's a product, you know, it's a product and like any product, uh, you have to figure out ways to market it, to sell it, uh, in order to, you know, to be successful. You know? Absolutely. Do, do you think, um, that when you look at the history of hip hop, um, and really the history of music overall, that there is no better time to be an independent artist than it is now? Absolutely. 1000%. I, I, you know, again, and I, I'll always keep going back to, you know, 80s 90s that era stuff mm -hmm. you know when you when you um look at what it used to be to be uh in the music industry um so go back to the early 80s uh mid 80s 90s even um there was a time okay let's take it even all the way back to let's say like 1980 to be in the music industry there really was no such thing as an independent artist true there were unsigned artists and there were signed artists, but there was no independent artist. You know, you were either a band trying to get signed or you were a band that was already signed, period. You know what I'm saying? And the reason that existed was because, the reason it was like that is because back then, you couldn't even record an album unless you were signed to a major label, at least not in a good quality studio or anything, right? Because you're talking $75 an hour, $100 an hour type budgets, you, you're not getting those like, you know, remember, there are no home studios, right. there's no laptop setups, there's none of that. You know what I mean? you got to go to a real studio, pay a real engineer, real money, right? And most people don't have that unless you, you're a trust fund baby or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So you have to get signed to the major label. So there was a time you absolutely had to have a major label to put out a product, period. Okay? Then we fast forward to the age of... Um, not so much home studios, but smaller independent studios started popping up, okay? Um, and so now, instead of a $75, $100 an hour, people could record something for $25 to $50 bucks an hour. Something more reasonable that now, you know what, if we just get our money together, Rob, we can go get a couple hours at the studio. And let me tell you something. I love those days because here was the thing. When at the major studios, that would, you know what? When you're paying $75 an hour, $100 an hour, People don't come there and say, all right, give me a minute to write this. <laughs> right. They don't They don't come there and say, right. uh, let, let me do it again. Let me do it. Hold on. I almost got it. No. They would practice, 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 practice. And when it was absolutely perfect, all right, let's go to the studio so we can get in and get out in one hour because it's $75 an hour. Right. You know? And I think, you know, that, that those days led you know, they lend themselves to, to, to what I consider better, better music, not because it's, you know, a nostalgic thing, but because of the work that had to go in to make the music. Before you so, got to the recording. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, nowadays people show up and they want to do their practice. This is the first time they ever did a take, they're doing it at the studio. I mean, I used to own a studio. I, I, I never understand why people do that. I would never waste my money like that. But, but you, but you, you was cool with it. You know, exactly. As, as, you know, hey, hey we can stay here all day, <laughs> you know, but, uh, right. 
from that side of it. But right, but yeah, right. so so yeah, you know, it all goes back to that that era and stuff. And and so when you look at what you needed then, that's what you had to have a deal. Then we get to the nineties, and when you get to the nineties, you didn't necessarily have to have the record label to record your album because again, there's smaller studios you could go to, and if you got just a little bit of money, you could actually get a decent sounding album at the right studio with the right engineer. Um, but you still had one problem, right? And now, and I'm talking, we're we're in the ninety to ninety five era, let's say. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you still had one problem, and that was once you get your album done, and you get the vinyl or the CDs pressed up. Do How the right. hell do you get that from Detroit to California, right. to New York, to Austin, to right. Miami? Shit. How do you get it to Germany? Right. How do you get it to Italy? How do you get it to China? Shit. All right. We still need the major label because we need that distribution deal. So then that's what you've seen happen was the shift where people are like, I'm not signing to a label, but I'll sign to them for distribution. Right. And so then that's what happened, you know, until the CD babies of the world popped up, you know, until this, the cores of the world. This makers, this makers got a little bit more affordable. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Even things like that, you know, so, so, but, but once things changed that digital realm, once iTunes and all that hit, you know, nobody really embraced it, including the major labels. And that was their slip up right there. But, but at the end of the day, once that, once it did start to take hold, people said, oh, you can't, this, the CD baby is a good service. TuneCore is a good service. You know, this right. digital kit is a good service. Once that started happening, then that's when the real birth of the independent artist boom happened. Because now it was, now we don't need a major label for anything. And by the time we get to the 2000s, home studios are all the rage, laptop setups are all the rage. You, you're able to do that. The technology's come far enough. You, can get, you don't need to have a $20,000 uh and mic you can have a decent mic you know you can get a good 200 300 mic um you know uh hell my, my favorite mic you know the, the sm7b you know uh is always a, a a great mic always has been a great mic and, and it's never really changed its price point it's been 500 dollars as long as i've known that mic for 30 years that mic's been 500 dollars so yeah. like where's the inflation you know what i mean like it's been the same right, right. price forever you know um and uh, and it's just like the, the, the you know I think that that might just be sure in the way they do things because even their uh, um, uh, the SM uh, seventy eight the SM seven B no no not the SM seven B they're um, the regular uh, the dynamic uh, the one the live mics that yeah I, uh-huh. uh, I know what you're talking about can't think of the name of it right now but uh but I mean that. It's been like a hundred dollar price point, long as I can remember. Long as I can remember, that mic's been a hundred dollars. I mean, seriously, like it hasn't gone up, hasn't gone down. It's been a hundred dollars, hundred dollars, hundred dollars, hundred dollars. You mean the SM fifty eight? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Fifty eight and fifty sevens, right? They're both a hundred dollars, long as I can remember. You know, so, so, but, uh, but yeah. Um, at the end of the day, this to answer your question, this is there is no greater time to be an independent musician because you do not need major labels for anything. And as somebody that has, um, you know, my whole journey has been about staying independent. You know what I mean? I've always promoted that, always wanted to do that. 
Um, like I said, there were times you needed majors to do this or that. Nowadays, you don't need them for anything. There was a time you still needed them. There was even a time once you get into the 2000 era. Okay, let's go early 2000, 2000 to 2005. Okay, you're good on the distribution side, but you still need a major for publishing. Yes. Okay? Because you have no way to collect your royalties in Germany. Some bit, you know. So there was that. And nowadays, that is no longer even a factor, you know. Companies like right. mine, companies out there like SongTrust, uh, you know, there, there's so many ways to go out there and get it nowadays. Uh, you don't need majors for anything. Now, some people still argue, well, you still need them for their marketing budgets. I guess you could say that you, you could still use their pockets, of course. Uh, but but even in that instance, you don't need their marketing budgets. You, you have the ability to save your own money and put together your own budgets. And, you know, if you're smart about it, uh, there's definitely ways to stretch your dollar. Even something like a Facebook ad, when you do Facebook ads right, you can run Facebook ads as low as $30 for a month. You're spending a dollar a day and get phenomenal results for a dollar a day. Based around making sure you follow the right demographics. Making sure you're doing the right targeting. Exactly. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there's some work you put into it. You don't just drop it and it happens. You know what I'm saying? But you put in a little bit of work, it will the, the rewards will be well worth it. Wow. So music became democratized, so to speak because the technology became more accessible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people concern themselves about the quality of the music when in actuality, there's just a lot less gatekeeping, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, and that was really interesting when you talked about the fact that because studios became less expensive, you had the ability to kind of go in and figure it out as you went. Mm -hmm. um that's a really really interesting point i wanted to talk to you real quick about um you know the, the digital distributors you know the tune cores the distro kids uh what is your like interpretation of this battle in a way that's kind of going on between them or is it actually not a battle it's kind of you is it a battle would no. you say I, they're not, all in bed together it seems in a way they're not in bed together but here's the thing they there's enough clients yes. for, for everybody to go around. Um, so, so they don't, they don't necessarily compete with each other now because they're all businesses. Every single business out there wants to have the biggest market share they possibly can. That's part of owning a business. Right. right. But they're not concerned with each other. You know, uh, I, no more than a, 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 a perfect analogy would be Pepsi and Coke. Coke ain't worried about what Pepsi's doing and Pepsi ain't worried about what Coke's doing. You know what I mean? They both getting theirs and hey, you know, it, it, of course, you know, we want to be number one. We want to be number one. Of course. Jimmy, right, but are, right. they, are they so worried? Like, oh, if we don't do this, we're going to lose. To no, they're not worried about that. You know okay. what I mean? Because they know they're always going to get theirs no matter what. Right. They yeah, have, you know, 60,000 joints going up every day, every day, one a second. Right. Right. So, so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to the, the independent distributors, um, what I always tell people, you know, it's not about which one's better or this or that because they all have their pros and they all have their cons. Every single one of them. There's not a single one of them. Um, you have to find the one that works best for your personal situation or has features that you may be wanting to utilize or, or take advantage of. Uh, they all basically do the same thing. Every one of them will offer some type of publishing admin as an extra bonus. 
Every one of them will offer, uh, you know, they're going to charge some type of fee. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to go with, you know, which one you like. Maybe you like this, the way they upload on this platform because it's easier. Uh, maybe this one over here, Platform X, hey, they got an app. And I can do it all right from my phone. I don't even need a computer. I can upload right. the phone and everything. Well, this one doesn't have that. So for me, I'm going with the app, right? Like it just depends, right? Like so, right. Um, you know, I personally, uh, we have a partnership with Believe Digital uh, for our distribution, which if you don't know who they are, they're a French company. Uh, they're actually the parent company of TuneCore. Uh, they own TuneCore. Uh, but TuneCore is for independent artists. Believe Digital only does distribution for labels. Okay. So that's the, that's the big difference. Um, and the, the quality of level of service is, you know, completely different, <laughs> completely different. Absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you real quick about your thoughts about NFTs. Yeah. Um, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your viewpoint on that? Uh, I, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm very interested. <laughs> okay. I'm very interested. Uh, my initial thought, my very, very first initial thought. And when I say initial thought, I mean like a month ago, initial thought. My very first uh, uh, initial thought was, well, this sounds great if you're Post Malone, if you're Rihanna, if you're yeah. whoever, you know what I mean? But how does the average Joe launch an NFT and make it successful? Because remember, it's a piece of, you know, it's, it's essentially a piece of art. Right? Absolutely. So and, just to back up real quick before we go any further, just so people can understand, mm -hmm. can you explain NFTs very briefly? Uh, in a, I'll explain user. what I know of NFTs because I, okay. again, I'm not an expert, but uh, you know, Absolutely. my understanding is they're digital tokens. NFT stands for non-fungible token. Mm -hmm. okay? And they're digital tokens that can be traded and exchanged. Now, the, the main difference um, between an NFT and like regular Bitcoin or whatever is if I have one Bitcoin, and you have one Bitcoin and we trade, right? You give me yours, I give you mine. You mm -hmm. have one Bitcoin. Right. I have one Bitcoin. Doesn't matter that it was mine and now it's yours or vice versa. I mean, if you think about a, a, a US dollar, if I have one greenback US dollar and you have one green, and I'm like, let's just trade dollars. You still got one dollar, I still got one dollar. There's no, no, no difference there. NFTs, each one has its own value. So, if you have one NFT and I have one NFT and we change NFTs, let's say your NFT was worth more than mine. Well, when we change now, I come out ahead. You would not because yours, you ended up getting mine, which isn't worth as much as yours was. Um, right. But they're essentially digital art um, and you can, you can embed different things in there. Uh, uh, metadata, all kinds of stuff can be embedded into it. But the easiest way that it's been explained to me and that I explain it to other people is it's like digital pieces of art that can be traded. And like any other piece of art, uh, the more times it's bought and sold, the more it goes up in value typically. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, a lot of them, you know, they're, they're basically one offs. You know, you're doing a, a one off. So it might be a one off of picture of my phone. Let's just say, you know, mm -hmm. there's this digital token that has a picture of my phone. You know, and it might be a picture of me holding the phone with a thumb up, whatever. But I'm the only one that has that picture. Nobody else has that piece of art. You know, nobody has that digital right. uh, uh, thumbprint except me, unless I sell it. Right. You know, and now you would be the only one in the world that has that. You know, and so right. you know the exclusivity behind it is 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 what the appeal is to to some people, um, especially the super fans out there. You know, I've got something of a Post Malone that nobody else has, and right. things like this. But uh, uh, I'm currently looking into 
you know, and I hope that that, that helped, you know, give some. some Absolutely. Experience. Absolutely. I'm no expert in it. I'm still learning about it myself. Sure. Um, in fact, um, I, I have a, a, a meeting coming up um, uh, with uh, Daniel Dwyer. Um, check him out. He's uh, he's pretty dope in this space. Um, and uh, I have a meeting come up with him to discuss this further, to explore ways to roll these out for just the average independent artist. Um, because they, they are part of the future, there's no doubt. Um, but again, where, because even the whole, the music industry as a whole, even the universals and that, even the people that have the Post Malones mm -hmm. and could launch these and actually definitely you know benefit from it, they haven't even embraced it yet. Because everybody's still like, eh, it sounds good, but we really don't know. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. so uh, it's still early, but you know, as is with most things, the music industry always waits until <laughs> until they're forced into the situation. I mean, that's exactly what happened with streaming. You know, they should have owned it from the beginning, right? And then we wouldn't be having this these conversations about we don't make enough money and nobody gets paid and this and that, and you know, which that's a whole another conversation. You know. You should bring me back for that conversation. <laughs> I, I would love to. I would love to. But, but not being able to take the risk is something that plagues us. Mm -hmm. Not being able to, not being able or not being willing to take the risk to do something innovative and also really wanting to be the second to do something is something that, that I think plagues us not only as a people, but as creators being okay being second that's that's something that that's different one of the things that um you've also talked extensively about is um how important it is to find your own tribe how important it is to do your data work do your research yes. treat your audience like you like you're dating them you know what i'm saying and do your research find out what they like because they just don't like you they like basketball they like anime they like other artists so that was a piece of advice that you gave me um or that you actually said at a seminar and it just really stuck with me about the fact that you don't and i think p put some on facebook kind of about that today shout out to uncle p talking yes. about you're going about it wrong if you think you're going to be drake you're not going to be drake no and, and the other thing is when it comes to that you know finding your tribe um and there's something for everybody out there, you know, and, and what people fail to realize is it's, it's, there's more just than just somebody, somebody, you do a live show, for example. A lot of times people think that when somebody comes to a live show, they're coming there because they love the music. Okay? They're coming there, oh, I can't wait to hear Rod, oh, this is going to be amazing. That's not, that's not the case right people aren't coming to a live show to listen to your music believe it or not when, like even ourselves when me and you when we go to a concert we're not going there to listen to the music we can stay at home and listen to the music okay? you don't have to go to little caesar arena to hear the music you can stay home and hear the music you're going to see the person to see the show right that's what you're going for you know the music is just a part of that. You see what I'm saying? And so, so when we're talking about finding our tribe in that, you know, there's more to people, like you said, um, you know, finding out what what else they're into, 
but more importantly, you know, not only does it give you one way to connect with them that you may not have had previously, it also creates an entirely new lane for people to discover you, right? So, so you know, the example I always give is probably the one you're referring to is, I, I tell people, you know, you want to have five brand stories on, on your social medias, right? You know, what do people do? They put out an album and you'll see it out now or coming soon. They make these flyers and put them up on social media, you know? 313, dropping 313, my new album, 313, is coming out, it's my new album, right? And that's the only thing you see them post. Today, tomorrow, the next, and you know, until the album drops, even after the album drops, that's all they're posting is about the album, right? That's, you know, first of all, you're beating people upside the head, you know, it's almost like beating a dead horse. They can only hear about your, your new album drops so many times, that's first off. Second off, though, you've not given anybody uh, outside of your circle of friends uh, the ability to discover you, right? Just because you got a flyer that says out now, that's no incentive for anybody to go check it out if they've never heard of you and know nothing about you. Um, however, if you have five different brand stories that you're posting every different day, one, that's going to get you more active in the, in the Instagram algorithm, for one, because you're posting more frequently, which is going to in turn get you in front of more people, which will in turn allow more people to discover you. But the other thing about it is with five brand stories, let's say you had one brand story as, you know, and keep them true to who you are. So let's say you a sneakerhead, you know what I mean? You, you got some of the dopest, you know, sneakers out there, right? Okay, once a week, do a post about one of your sneakers, you know, or the one that you just copped or the one you want to cop or whatever, you know, do something about sneakers. The next one, let's say that you, uh, you love barbecuing, like you in the backyard, we live in Michigan, but don't matter. You don't care if it's 30 below, you out there barbecuing because that's, hey, you got your own rub, you got your own sauces, you, hey, you into that. Do some post about that, you know, mm. Maybe share, some, share some tips or whatever. Right. You know, so now there's your second post. Right. Let's say that um, let's say that you uh, uh, are also, um, you know, you're a producer. Let's say you're a producer. You make beats or whatever. OK, do a post of you working on a beat. Hey, here's the latest thing I'm working on y'all, or whatever. Or give tips. You know, here's what I use. Here's the plugins I use or or here's what what keyboard or, or you know, MPC or whatever I'm using. Give those tips. Um, and then let's say, um, let's say another, another one of your stories is, um, let's say, uh, like you're like you a, like you a live streamer, you live stream yeah. yourself playing video games. Sure. There you go. For so example. now you have five different things right. that you can post about. That's five different times a week you've posted. Not one of those has been about your music. You still need to do a music post. So then that'll be your sixth thing. Right. right. So you have six days a week that you can make a post. Only one of those is going to be about music, though. So now you're staying in front of people's faces, but you're not going buy my music, buy my music, buy my music, buy my music, buy my music. You're going, hey, check out my secret sauce that I made over here for my barbecue. Oh, right. check, out, check out these new J's, these and breads. You got these yeah. ones? Check out my, uh, you know, check out me killing these fools on COD, whatever. Do you right. see what I'm saying? Right. And what you what, what's going to happen, like I said? You've now created five more ways that people can discover you. So I could be somebody who's never heard of you, never seen you, but because you're staying active on the Instagram, it's got you in front of me. You're gonna just randomly show up on my timeline. Oh, what's this? What's this barbecue sauce this guy's talking about? Let me check. I'm into barbecue and let me check this out. So I'm checking you out. Okay, yeah. All right, I see what he's doing there. That hey, that's that, I might have to try that barbecue sauce that he just you know gave me that recipe to. That's pretty dope. And then I click on some, what else has this guy got? And then I click on something else. 
Oh, he does music too? Well, let me check this out. Oh, yeah, I vibe with this. Okay. Mm -hmm. My point is, I discovered your music because of a barbecue post. You see what I'm saying? So when you have different brand stories, you now have different ways that people could potentially discover you that aren't even connected to your music. And what I can tell you is when they connect with you on a deeper, whole nother level, if I connect with you because of barbecue sauce first, I'll become a more engaged and lifelong fan than somebody that just happens to stumble across your music because we have a connection. Wow. Jules. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, you're absolutely right. It makes 100% sense. I think about um, Griselda mm -hmm. and how Griselda utilized social media to make an impact through fashion, through, you know, as well as through their music and having a, 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 a very broad net. And they came across as a big contrast against everything else that was out. But if it was just about the music, they might not necessarily have the impact that they had. So that's huge. That's interesting. Absolutely. You know, that's you huge. something else. You know what I'm saying? Something else to hold on to. The more things they can hold on to, think about this. What if, what if I, I discovered you because of your, you know, your barbecue sauce that you have made? Yeah, yeah right. it's dope. Okay. And I say, oh, and he, and he makes music. All right, I'm a fan. And as I'm going through it, oh, damn, he's a sneakerhead. Oh, I got them same, I got them same shoes. Now, I got another thing we've connected on. You know what I'm saying? Then I see your COD. I live stream too. I, you know what I mean? Like I got the more things I can connect with you, the, the deeper it goes. You know what I'm saying? Like the deeper the connection goes. It's like the roots of a tree. You know what I'm saying? The deeper in the ground they go, right? The stronger it is. And the more of those layers of connection you have, the more embedded that fan's going to be, right? Wow. Like with, with me and my clients, what I'm looking at, anybody that comes to me uh, is, you know, if we're doing project management, you, you have a project. Hey, man, you hire, you know, you're going to hire us to, to oversee it and roll out your release. Um, you know, I always tell everybody, it's not about week one. I don't care about week one numbers. <clears throat> I don't care what we do the first week. You know, those numbers used to play an important part back in the 80s and the 90s. You know, I mean, think about it, man. Super Tuesday, you wouldn't, you couldn't wait for a new album to drop on Tuesday. People be lined up, man you know, just waiting to buy it. And so, you know, first week numbers used to matter and stuff like that. In today's digital age, they don't matter as much. Um, and they certainly don't matter to me because I don't really care what we did week one. What I care about is week 51. Mm. That's what I care about. Because wow. if you started with just random number, if you started with 10,000 fans, we looked on your socials, you've got 10,000 followers on Facebook, you know, or, or, you know, yeah, Facebook, let's say you got 10,000 on Spotify, you know, all your numbers, you got 10,000 Instagram, everything says 10,000. Let's just say that for you. Um, that's great. Um, week 51, where are we at? Are we at 10,000 and, you know, one or 10,000? Do we only move up to 11,000? So we only gained a thousand fans in that one year time. You know, don't get me wrong, a thousand fans is a thousand fans. But my point is, I want to see, you know, is there some growth there? Are we still in the same spot we were a year ago? Or was there growth there? That's what we're looking for. And that's what we're trying to create, um, you know, is is build fan bases, right? Because when you, feel, when you build a fan base, that's what rocks with you. That's what stays with you. That it's something that continually grows. Like fan base is literally like this. And if this is the last fan, then the next fan base layer builds on top of that. And then the next fan base layer builds on top of that. And it's something that continually, you know, if you think about it like bricks, 
you know what I mean? Like it's something that you continually building one on top of the other. They're literally standing on, you know, you hear people say standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Well, right. fans are literally standing on the shoulders of each other. Literally. You know what I mean? Like, and so that's how you build up a fan base. And that's what we try and do here is build up a fan base. And I'm really proud. Um, one of our clients right now who uh, is, you know, he's got some really good stuff going for him. Um, you know, but last year, you know, when he first came to us, uh, his numbers were um, less than, you know, I don't even think he had a couple hundred you know monthly streams or whatever yeah right on spotify you know and you know he just screenshot me today you know he's at he's got ten thousand streams you know on a, on a project that just dropped in, in january that's great you know all organic no playlisting right no playlisting just mm -hmm. all organic streams right everybody wants to get on the playlist and all that you know um and don't get me wrong it, it playlisting serves its purpose too but, uh, you know, this is just him building up his fan base. And I say him building up his fan base because he did the work. Right. You, what I'm you know, uh, you know, we I've done some advising and consulting, but he's did the work, you know, and that's what it's about putting in the work. Nobody I, should want it more than you. That's true. Now, now, one one other thing that I know you're extremely passionate about is minority owned businesses. Absolutely. Um, you recently began a fellowship. Can you talk about um, this new program that you're a part of and what it means for uh, minority owned businesses? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely privileged and honored to be a part of uh, HUIM, the American Association of Independent Musicians. Uh, they are a, a, a trade uh, organization, lobbying organization uh, for the independent music sector, independent music business sector, I should say. Uh, you know, and a lot of people, it's, it, some people have heard of them, some people haven't, uh, but they're very significant. Um, you know, they played a huge part in getting the MMA passed, the Music Modernization Act, and getting that passed. They, you know, they were down in Washington, D.C. lobbying for that. Uh, they do all kinds of uh, if you remember, they have all kinds of events for the members mm -hmm. um, to help their, you know, to help support the independent music sector. So whether it's a a, um, a webinar or something like this, where you might learn about best practices for Facebook or IG, uh, you know, hell, some of the stuff that I'm t telling you, like you hear me talk about some of these gems, I've got them through these various means, whether it was HUIM or another one, right? right. It's about being affiliated with the different trade organizations. Um, and taking advantage of all the knowledge that they give out, you know. Um, but uh, but HYM is the organization. They this year launched a um, initiative to support Black independent music companies, uh, which they dubbed BIMA, B-I-M-A, uh, the Black Independent Music Accelerator. And it has one goal, and that is to uplift uh, Black-owned uh, music businesses. Um, and support them in any way possible. So, uh, Troy Carter is is one of the board members on it. Uh, Troy Carter is the former, uh, you know, head of Spotify, uh, former uh, manager to Lady Gaga. Now has his own company, uh, does some amazing things. Uh, Madeline Nelson's on the board. Madeline Nelson, um, she has her own company as well, uh, music publishing and label and stuff, but. I guess, you know, she's most famous for being, uh, she's Wyclef Jean's manager, 
Um, so, and, and there's, you know, some other amazing people that are out, that are part of a board um, and are there to do mentoring and stuff like this. And, uh, uh, you know, perfect example, I, I just told you earlier that I had the meeting with Daniel Dewar earlier. Uh, that came from HYM, okay? Um, and, it, you know, there was some of the members of the BMO organization were asking about NFTs. Hey, what do you know about NFTs? Do you guys plan on doing anything with NFTs? And HYM say, we're going to get Daniel Dwyer to talk to you guys about this stuff because he's one of the foremost experts on it. And literally from, you know, our mouths to their ears, bam, and it happened just like that, you know? So the, that's the benefit. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you all of, the, all of the ways that HYM as a whole has benefited my business, even before they did the Black Independent Music Accelerator. Just as an independent music company, they've done amazing stuff. Um, one of my mentors, when I first started in this, uh, I said, man, what, what can I do? You know, what do I need to do to, to get my business, you know, up to par and whatnot? And that was the first thing they said. They said, you need to join A2IM. That's to be the first thing you should do because you'll learn everything you need to know, you know? And, uh, and you know, that's, that's really what's happened. That's really what's helped me grow my business. I'll give you another perfect, perfect example. A lot of people know us. For sync licensing you know we've gotten some pretty good placements and things like this um and uh those a big part of that came from h-o-i-m uh as an h-o-i-m member they do a event once a year uh a sync meetup where they set up one-on-one -on -one meetings with music supervisors uh networks and all kinds of stuff the very first one i ever went to I had a one-on-one face-to-face -on -one meeting with the head of music for Lionsgate Film. Okay? Mm -hmm. We're in Detroit. Right. When are you going to get a sit-down with the people from Lionsgate Film and discuss what their musical needs are? Right? That's right. not going to happen. Do you see what I'm saying? But because of A2IM, I was able to get that. You know, um, And to this day, they send me a slate. Here's what we need for the next year of all the shows that they need music for. And we submit to that, right? Wow. Um, you know, so so it's creating, that's what it, that's what A2IM does best is create opportunities for independent music companies. Right. Um, and, you know, in their own words, they exist to level the playing field between the majors and the independent music sector. That's why they exist. Uh, they're a great organization. They already were a great organization, but then when they when they you know, launched this, this um, Black Independent Music Accelerator, uh, with the sole focus of taking some black owned businesses and right. helping them get even further ahead than they already are. Um, that, that was, that was big. And uh, so as wow. soon as they seen that, I applied for it. Um, I don't, I don't know how many, it was like 300, over 300 applicants or something like mm -hmm. that. It shows like 30 companies. Uh, mine was one. There's actually four, uh, four companies out of Detroit actually. Uh, okay. that got selected. Uh, uh, if you know, uh, Jay Norm, uh, over at Verse and Hook, Verse nope. and Hook, Verse and Hook got selected. Um, Props to Verse and Hook. Ah, man, I can't think of the other uh, off the top of my head, but yeah, there's four of them uh, that uh, you know, four of us saw a lot of Detroit that got selected, um, and so that that was that was super dope. I was glad to see them doing some other people out of Detroit, but yeah, all around the the country, man. People in Atlanta, there's people on the West Coast, people on the East Coast. Uh, so it's it's really great program, and uh, it's their initial, their inaugural version of it. That's um, huge. 
very privileged to be part of the inaugural class, and it's a one-year program, right? So for okay. the next year, uh, you know, as was told to us, anything we need, they're like, anything you need, let us know. If you don't have distribution, like major distribution, like with Sony, the Orchard, or somebody like that, right. if, you don't have, if you don't have major distribution, let us know. We'll get it set up. If you need royalty calculating software, let us know. We'll set it up. Like anything we need, they're there to help facilitate. You know, amazing. Uh, it's it's such an amazing opportunity. Um, and, and you I, guys I, will all be able to give that to other black businesses. Absolutely. You'll, you'll, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. And the network that's that's being created oh, yeah. amongst you as being part of that first cohort. That sounds really really special. Yeah, it, it is. Everything about it is, man. It really is. And uh, I can't speak highly enough of A2IM. I've always spoke highly of A2IM. Uh, you know, all of these, you know, we're a member of, you know, not just them, but, you know, we're a member of AINP, which is the Association of Independent Music Publishers. Uh, we're also a member of NMPA, the National Music Publishing Association. Both of those groups, especially the NMPA, are, are critical, man. They, You know, NMPA is... They're another big force in why the Music Modernization Act got passed because they're there lobbying on behalf of music publishers, okay? Uh, right. All music publishers. So that also includes Universal and Sony ATV and everybody. They're there to lobby on behalf of all music publishers. AIMP is exactly what the name says, the Association of Independent Music Publishers. So they're there just to help the independent music publishers like myself. Uh, right. but, but, you know, they all put out so many dope webinars and educational sessions and stuff that you know this is why we're affiliated with all these programs uh to get that knowledge so that our businesses can flourish you know and then we pass it on where we can but if you're not taking advantage of these things um you know one gem i want to make sure to, to, to tell everybody i can't over the, i can't stress enough over the last year with the pandemic was never their greater time for people to do learning and so Everybody always said, you know, I've always been a proponent of music industry conferences. Go get the knowledge, right? Go to South by Southwest. Everybody wants to go to South by Southwest for the party and all that. Forget all that. Go there to one, build your network. Meet people in the music industry that you can build your network with. That's first off. Secondly, go to any of the seminars and stuff like that. Attend that. Go learn the business of music, right? And then if you're lucky enough, maybe you get to do a showcase there, right? And those are the three reasons to go to any conference. Now, normally, people say, well, I can't go to this conference because, let's take South by, for example. A badge for South by Southwest is $1,300. And then you still got to get to Austin. So what's a plane ticket? And you got to have a place to stay. What's a hotel? And you got to eat. I mean, it could, you know, five bands, easy, just to right. go to South by. Okay? Right. Can't everybody do that, you know? Um, I go to Medem, which is over in Cannes. Okay? Can't everybody go to France? Okay, right. even more, you know. So, so the point is, last year though, every single conference did a virtual session, and every single one of them offered it for free. Yeah. Okay. So last year was a great time to attend conferences that you normally wouldn't able been able to attend. It was a great time to build your network. Okay, because they all of them did like breakout rooms and different different opportunities where you could network with people. Uh, I still attended hella conferences last year. I still continue to do business, still continue to grow my network, and still continue to make moves while everybody else was sitting there still. You know? Absolutely. And and so that's that's the difference. You know what I'm saying? Like so take advantage of that stuff. We're still in that kind of era and yeah. you know, 
it's going to open up a little bit because of the vaccine or whatever. But while they're still online, events take full advantage. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. That's huge. And I, you, do you think that because, just real quick, do you think that because of the experience of being able to save in costs um, as well as still have that networking spirit um, existing during these virtual conferences, obviously it's not the same as sitting down with a person and having a drink with a person and talking to them. But right. do you think that after this pandemic that you'll see a lot more of the use of like these virtual webinars and, and connections made that way? Yep, I, I work um, with a lot of the conferences um, to assist with programming and stuff like that. Um, and I'm you know, in contact with a lot of them. And every one of them has said that, because I, I asked that question early on, like last year I asked that question. And uh, every one of them has said, yeah, it's now a part of the way they move. Yeah. Uh, before it was not, but it is now definitely, they don't, they, don't see, they don't see a future where there is not a hybrid component where, yes, we're doing it in person, but if you can't make it in person, feel free to sign up over here for the virtual session. Um, and so that that is uh, uh, the, the biggest thing is them finding the way to incentivize the people to show up in person. Because if I can stay at home, then why not just stay at home? Right. So you know they've they've already talked about you know uh, like there's the conference and then conference light. Yeah. You know, what I'm you know you can go to three things if you do it online, but to go to right. all five, you got to come here. Right, you know right, I mean? right, 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 right. And and uh, but yeah, but they've already said that, that that is it will be a part of all of their programming in the future, the hybrid online version. So so just to kind of kind of tie a neat bow on our discussion about you, um, you obviously you have the fellowship, mm -hmm. obviously you have clients and artists that you're working with. Um, what else is next? Like, is there something else that's next for you? Or are you putting all your energy into those things? Uh, next for me is, uh, a conference that I'm working on, okay. uh, working on building out a conference. Uh, this is a, a pet project of mine. I've been spending the works for a few years now, uh, but I, I can give you a little preview of it here. Uh, so what is the number one thing, you know, and I want to ask you the question. I'll tell you what it is. You know, one of the number one things missing from, uh, Detroit is a music industry infrastructure okay. Ab absolutely and, and do you know why that is why is that because in 1972 when motown moved to la the music industry infrastructure moved with it right okay that's that's why you know um had motown never left detroit there would still be a music industry infrastructure here now how big or how robust you know who's to say you know what i'm saying but there at least still would be one, you know. But once they moved, everybody moved with them. So that left no music industry infrastructure here. Um, so, I mean, hell, we don't even have a Grammy chapter or anything. Chicago's the nearest Grammy chapter. Do you see right. what I'm saying? Wow. Um, and and so, so that's why, though. That's a big part why. So anyway, so as, as part of my, my, go my goal is to rebuild that infrastructure. And the way that we're going to do that is through a series of, uh, conferences uh, called Destination Detroit. So what Destination Detroit is, is it's a B2B trade conference. So this isn't for artists to come to, like this isn't a, this isn't a South by, this ain't where you're going to come as an artist and, 
hey, listen to my demo and all this stuff like this. This isn't for the artist. This is for the infrastructure, okay? So if you're a manager, if you're a booking agent, if you're a lighting company, if you're a sound rental company, if you're a venue, okay? If you're an engineer that does audio for front of house, if you're a... if you're a sync company that, that's looking for sync licensing, if you're a music publisher, if you're a label, anything to do with the infrastructure, this is a chance. Uh, it's going to be between cities. So the first one is going to be between the city of Detroit and the city of Toronto. And the reason being, uh, the city of Toronto, much like the city of Detroit, also lacks some music industry infrastructure. Um, and so the goal of it is people in Detroit will meet with their counterparts from the city of Toronto. So now, like currently right now, if you wanted to book a show in Toronto, yeah, I got an artist, I want to, you know, or even I am an artist and I want to go perform in Toronto. You probably, wow. you probably don't even know any venues to call. You don't even right. know which venues take hip hop, which ones don't take hip hop. Right. Okay? Let's say you're a band and you're like, we're going to need to rent a keyboard. We're going to need to rent some, uh, you know, uh, some mics. We're going to need to rent a bass amp. You don't even know what companies to call in Toronto if you needed to rent that stuff. The mm-hmm. point of this is to bring those together so that you now have a network of people in Toronto you can call. Oh, I know. If I'm going to call this venue. I'm going to call this sound guy. I'm going to call this lighting guy. I'm going to call this uh, you know, booking agent you know, to build up the network, right? And it's to right. build, build the networks of Toronto and Detroit, okay? Um, and then we'll continue that on, you know? Then we do Detroit in Chicago, Detroit in LA, Detroit in Atlanta, Detroit in Miami, Detroit in New York, you see what I'm saying? Uh, Detroit in Mexico City, Detroit in Brazil, Detroit in mm-hmm. Germany, Detroit in, you know, we just continue on around the world. Right. You know? um, and wow. like I said, it's it's B2B, business to business. Okay. Right. That's the whole point of it. Um, so would this be like invitation only? Um, it's not invitation only. Um, anybody can sign up for it. Um and uh but but uh there there's requirements you know what i mean like obviously like i said because it's not for artists you know what i mean now now it's different if you're an artist who legitimately is you know handling all your own business and hey i'm an artist but i legitimately have my own label as well and we have artists under the label and this and that okay that's different that artist could obviously participate you know what i'm saying but it's not for just the artist that's an artist i mean this is for like i said this is for the, the the infrastructure uh the people that run the show to come together to build their network so they can continue running the show. Um, and this is how we continue to build up the infrastructure within the city of Detroit. Um, and uh, you know, this this is this project has full support of the United States um, Trade Department, uh, specifically the Department of Commerce. Uh, they are uh, coming on board. Um, they love it. Uh, so you know, it's, it's it's always nice when you get support from Washington D.C. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, uh, it is. Uh, right. You know, but uh, but you know, the whole point of it is because it's with the city of Toronto and Detroit. Um, you know, now we're talking international trade, right? Absolutely. So that all falls under the new USMCA Act, uh, which is basically NAFTA 2.0. Yeah. And uh, um, so there's, you know, so this that's another reason why they're on board with it, because it's, it's just great for commerce between the two countries as well. Um, and, you know, I tell people all the time, music is a global commodity, right? It is. It is. And so, so it's important that, you know, we reach out to Toronto. You know, the other thing about Toronto that's dope is, um, you know, they're only three hours away. Yep. So it's, it's easy for people to make that trip, you know. 
um, uh, which only helps build up the infrastructure. Like I said, there's tons of people in, in Toronto that love to come to Detroit, but they don't know what venues, they don't know who to call, they don't know all this. And so this is going to help establish that, you know, right. and make it easier for everybody to do business, right? And that's what it's all about, you know? Uh, well, so I, yeah, that's that's big. Listen, I would I would love to speak on behalf of, um, you know, Grove Studios, Leon Speaker. Yeah. We would love to see something like that happen. Grove Studios has been working on um, uh, shipping container studios mm-hmm. be dropped anywhere. I yep. could see that being a part of it. Leon Speakers, obviously, they do, you know, high-end home audio and things of that nature, but they're looking to get more into um, acoustically grounded things that could be used in studio. I would love to. to I, I'm certain that we would. And then also there could be an opportunity to engage talking about, you know, with Amplify, uh, you know, from the nonprofit realm, you know, in terms of engaging the community and music development and, and music programs and things like that. I would love to see all of that, man. Absolutely, man. And, and uh, like I said, this is, uh, you know, we're looking at 2022. Yeah. Um, you know, originally it was supposed to uh, launch 2020. Originally, you, <laughs> you've, you've mentioned this to me before. And that, that, and that's exactly what the vision was. But yeah, but 2022 is where is where we're looking at now, and uh, I think it'll happen in 2022. Um, yep. If not, I mean, if if the world deems that it ain't time, then I guess we'll wait till 2023 or whatever. But uh, 2022 is, is what we're shooting for now, and uh, I'm really looking excited for this. I've been a part of trade missions similar to this before. Mm-hmm. Um, that that took um, uh, people, you know. Again, one of the organizations that I'm a, a member of is SEMA, which is the Canadian Independent Music Association. Okay. Uh, and they they did a trade mission uh, for all of their members from uh, it was, and it didn't matter where you were from, but it was their members primarily. A lot of them were from Toronto, and they did a trade mission from Toronto to New York, and they set us all up with these meetings in New York. Um, and we had some, like, I got, listen, when I say we had some meetings, I mean, we got to, to tour SoundCloud headquarters Ooh, with the wow. people at SoundCloud, right? Mm-hmm. We got to, uh, uh, bands in town. We got to meet with the people at bands in town. Okay. Uh, feature FM was another one. Um, uh, you know, Spotify, of course, um, you know, as well as one-on-one meetings, you know, I, you know, as a music publisher, all the only meetings I cared about were sync licensing. So they set me up with multiple meetings with music supervisors in New York. Right. Um, and that's what these trade organizations do. And like the people that you want to meet, they get you those meetings, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, it comes with a price literally because it's yeah. membership. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, but it's uh, right. You, you write that off. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All those fees are, are tax deductible. Yes, but, they are. You know, but more importantly, you know, it's it's what you get out of it. So, I mean, yes, like, it is. Membership, hey, membership at A two I M, man, twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, um, uh, which is nice about the fellowship because they they, they cover you, that. They, they I saw that in the in the article. Uh, but but for me, it's twenty five hundred dollars because I'm a dual member, publisher and a label. Um, right. I think it's fifteen hundred if you're just a label. But uh, but anywho, but for that twenty five hundred dollars, one meeting with Lionsgate Film, right? That potentially, let's say they pick up something, and now I just got a sink in a Lionsgate movie that paid a hundred thousand dollars, or paid fifty thousand dollars, or even paid ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got my twenty five hundred back. Right. But I would have never had that chance if I didn't pay the dues, become a member, right? Right. And one thing. Uh, about H O I M right now, they just recently started a program 
for musicians. Musicians, if you're just a musician, if you're just an artist, can sign up to A2IM and become a member for free. And they get limited access to stuff, right? Uh, but, but, you know, as a musician, people should sign up for that. Uh, you know, if you're a musician, I, I definitely encourage you all to go sign up to A2IM. I believe it's A2IM.org. A2IM.org. I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop it right here on the, uh, and, uh, drop it right here on the, on the, yeah, it's, it's actually called A2IM uh, artist is what it's called. Uh, right. If you sign up for A2IM artist. It's free. It's free. It right. costs you nothing to sign up as A2IM artist. Now you're not getting all the full benefits that a, a full member gets, but you still get access to a lot of good information. You know, um, you know, you go on there, you know, I, I'm on their member portal right now, you know, and they've got when you when you look at uh, uh, news and whatnot, you know what I'm saying? Um, they've got articles on here. Best practices for live streaming, uh, you know, uh, artists launching a, a art, new indie artist streaming concert series, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. They have job postings on there. Right. So you're looking for job postings, um, all kinds of stuff, you know, and, and big companies like BeatStars just joined. Right. Uh, you know, they got a welcome. Welcome to BeatStars, new member of A2IM's community. Right. So all these different companies that people have heard of and look up to, they're all members of A2IM. People just don't realize it. Absolutely. You I know? get it. So so I, I like I said, I, I encourage it. Heavy so do the knowledge. Do the knowledge. We want people to do the knowledge, do the reading, do the research Absolutely. to protect yourself and to be able to maximize the opportunities that you have. Absolutely. And and but right now we're going we're going to take a step back. We're going to move back. What is that? About 27 years ago or mm. so. And I want to take you back to April 13th, 1994. Where were you, I, April 13, 1994? Well, let me see. Let me think. Where would I have been? Uh, man, uh, in Canada. I'd have been in Canada. That would have been when I was living in Canada. Now, you're uh, you now you're based in Port Huron. Yeah, which is right across town. the bridge. Yep, border town. You know what I'm so saying? So you kind of run back and forth, back and forth, back and forth like it's nothing, yep, right? Always have. Um, in fact, I, I, I've been crossing the bridge since I was 14. Okay. Um, what there there's a skate park uh over in sarnia and so when i like when i was younger i was into bmx and all that and right. so i would walk my bike because you couldn't ride your bike but i would walk it across the bridge to go to the skate park so I'm do my mm. tricks and shit, you know what i'm saying right. so i've been crossing the bridge since i was 14 in fact met one of my best friends who's still one of my best friends to this day at that skate park um and uh uh hell i was the best man in his wedding yeah oh wow uh, um but uh but yeah uh, always back and forth across the bridge. I always spent an intensive time in Canada. Uh, in fact, even my music industry journey, real quick, uh, a big part of that was because of the, the Canadian music industry. Going back to my group, The Lyricists, when we first came together, the whole plan from Jump was let's market it and push it in Canada first mm -hmm. because they're about, at that time, they were about five years behind. No matter what we did over here, musically they would be about five years behind before that would hit over there so I'm like we can go over there and be the leaders of the pack you know what Absolutely. i'm saying and we did and we did see success from that and out of that that also allowed me to build my music industry infrastructure um there was a time i had more 
industry connects in Canada than I did the US. Like I could call up people at Universal, you know, vice presidents and stuff, you know, senior people like that, you know what I'm saying? Or, or whatever the case may be, whether it was even a Spotify or whoever, there was times that, like I said, uh, I had more connections in the Canadian music business uh, infrastructure than I did in the US infrastructure. And it didn't matter to me that, that that was the case because at the end of the day, music is a global commodity. So it doesn't matter where my connection is, if it's in Canada or if it's in the US, right? Connections, yeah. connection, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, but that's not the case now. But I, I hear you. I mean, it's just more evidence of the fact that we got to get out of our own way. Like yeah. we come in with these preconceived notions about things and it's just unfounded. Yeah. Um, you know, you got to you got to love who love you. But. So yeah, I'm in Canada, you know, to answer your question, I, I, that was definitely the time I was living in Canada. I you were in, in Canada, Canada. Oh, and Illmatic drops on a Tuesday. That's the year. And it's okay. So I like to talk about the cover art first. Mm -hmm. I always like to because cover art is art. Yes, me. And it's an expression of a lot of stuff explicitly and implicitly. Obviously, in the background of the picture, those are the Queensbridge projects. The Queensbridge projects are, if not the biggest, among the largest project housing projects housing developments in the united states in mm -hmm. united states history you know obviously you got like cabrini green and right. chicago and stuff like that and largely you Tony know the, what's that Tony gardens absolutely but you know largely the housing project has kind of began to go away it's been going away actually for a while um, but Queensbridge projects was where Nas was born. And, you know, I've always been curious about why he chose to put a picture of himself like that as a child. Um, I don't, I don't think that we had ever seen anything in hip hop like this before this. Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, I know Biggie, you know, the ready to die cover that came out afterwards. Shout out to, we talked about Biggie the other day, me and Brandon Scarborough. Did you um, see the, the doctor? Did you see the thing on uh, the Netflix? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About Biggie, yeah. for sure, for sure. And just the degree to which industry finagling happened with Uptown and stuff like that. So Nas was, um, and I don't have my notes in front of me based on this part in, in particular, but Nas was first signed to search, MC Search. Mm-hmm. Um, when he did live at the barbecue and things of that nature. And that's one of the reasons that that search retained some of the publishing rights to some of the music, I believe, that's still from Illmatic. Mm -hmm. So he's still collecting checks. But that's another whole that's another whole story. So I think that when I look at the cover, I think about the innocence. Like there's a there's an innocence and a perception like what goes in the project, what goes on in the projects is being watched not just by the police, you know, and these, the, the common narratives that we have about, you know, black neighborhoods, the, 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 the negative things as well as the positive things are all being watched and him putting himself on there as a child illustrates that there's some level of innocence that's disrupted. Cause look at his face. Well, that's what I was going to say to me. It, it, it never, I always seen this cover as this is the average um, you know, 10 year old 
growing up in New York City, and I always seen it as look at just look at the face that look how street savvy yes that kid looks like that kid looks like he'll take you you know what I'm saying if you give him the chance <laughs> you know what yes. I'm like like flat out you know the hunger the grit the determination yes the you're not gonna pull one over on me you know what I'm saying like no ain't gonna be no three car molly happening here absolutely you know like and so. And but that's what always inspired me. Absolutely. And I think about I think about the kids who I encountered throughout my, you know, throughout my life who had to develop. Some kids had to develop an exterior that that they learned. Absolutely. That they learned from being in the streets that you you cannot be. You know, I'm, I mean, when I looked at this, when I found out, you know, when we discussed talking about this, I thought about. Here you have a child who I look at my own child who's nine and I don't know precisely how old Nas is in this picture, but right. my child experiences joy on a regular basis. Right. Smiling, laughing, giggling, playing, jumping around this, that, and the third. I don't see that in his face. You know, I don't see that. And, and the, no, you don't. And uh, uh, that's the thing. Like I said, uh, that face says I'm going to get out of here, and if you're in my way, then I'm going through you to make that happen. You right. Know, like, plain and simple. I am getting out of here, you know? Uh, so you can either get out my way, or you can get right. rolled over, but I'm getting out of here. You know right. what I'm saying? Uh, like I said, it's, it's just a, there's a determination to it. Uh, there's a, a level of maturity to it. Um, you know, there's a lot. And that's why, you know, even when he, you know, one love, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, we gonna get to all that. You know, but when he's breaking it down to the little shorty, you know what I'm saying? Yes, like, that's, that's that's that face right there. You know what I'm yes. saying? Yes, like that's that's the shorty he's breaking it down to. You know? Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But let me ask this first: if it wasn't for Illmatic, mm -hmm. fill in the sentence, fill in the blank. Uh, I tell you this: if it wasn't for Illmatic, what? I may not be as involved in the business side of okay. the music industry. Okay. okay. Uh, obviously, from you know a creative standpoint, some of the producers and DJs and all this, you know, amazing producers on that album, and and you know, it's it's a magnum opus. You know what I'm saying, and all this. Absolutely. But, but the reason why I say that I might not be in the music industry is because this album learning about search having uh you know having his hand in discovering nas bringing him getting him signed to columbia yep. and all of this yep. um you know i grew up watching third base you know right. yeah remember man you, you know things were so different back then bro like i tell you what man I, I i feel so blessed honestly to have been born when i was born and been able to witness witness and live the entire evolution of hip-hop yes from nothing to where we are today the absolutely entire evolution you know absolutely and, and been a part of it you know what i mean been a part of it you know and so yeah. uh uh but but you know when, when we talk about third base and that you know there was a time with your mtv rap ain't but seven videos you know what i mean you only got a handful of people that are getting rotation you know what i'm saying right Tribe Dog quest third base public enemy you right. know what i'm saying like you're seeing the same shit over and over but uh, but my point was that when I found out that little tidbit that so the search did this 
that that was when the little light bulb went on to me that oh there's that's something I could do. It's a whole other game. Because he's an artist. Yes. That turned into, you know, that went to the business side of things. And yeah. I had always wondered, well, how do you get into the business side of things? Where do these people come? Where is, you look on a record on a, on a liner notes, executive producer. This, where do these people come from? Who is this yes. executive producer guy? How do you get that job? What college do you go to for that shit? You know, yeah. all this stuff. And when, when I seen that, when I found that out about search, that literally inspired me to go, oh, well, if he can do it, I definitely can. You know, and not knocking him, like saying that there was some reason he couldn't do it. No, it just inspired me, like, oh, bet this is possible. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I, and, and that that really even, I, I think, you know, made me hone in more on making sure my business side of things was always intact. Absolutely, and, and not to take away anything. Again, this story, this this podcast is about people first, mm-hmm. and that doesn't say anything to say about how influential this project was over the climate of music and over how it, it, it represented like a reclamation of East coast hip hop to a degree Mm -hmm. who had begun losing ground or had lost a great deal of ground to the West coast at that time. You know, this is after, you know, the chronic and doggy style and, which just came through and just literally smashed the entire landscape. And it, I think Illmatic in my, and this is non-scientific, but I think Illmatic is probably the most studied hip hop album ever. I mean, there's curriculums about it and Harvard programs and things of that nature. I think personally that to pimp a butterfly um, is going to us at some point or something either to pimp a butterfly or damn, just because of the amount of information being created in today's day and time will probably end up eclipsing Illmatic as being studied as much. But Illmatic is frequently regarded as the Vanguard rap album. The gold standard, 10 songs, different producers, but still all working album. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's that five mics right there. So I'm curious about I'm curious about your thoughts about you know even even saying that just really kind of flying up to ten thousand feet and kind of looking down. Why do you think there is so much, especially being around during that time? And I know you're a little bit older than me, you know, but um, why do you think there was so much affinity for the album and in particular Nas himself? Um, for me personally, I can tell you, I was a fan from the Zebra Head soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Halftime. Absolutely. Okay. Now, that was an era, you know, back then, music soundtracks were a great, they were always kind of the testing ground. If you got signed to Universal or Columbia or whoever, rather than invest money and drop an album, they'd be like, well, let's see if we can slide one of his songs on this movie soundtrack, and if we get any traction that way, then we'll, you know, we'll go further, whatever. Uh, but, but the point is, so the song halftime, I just, just lyrically, I like the vibe of the beat, you know what I'm saying? The, the flow, nasty Nas, you know, he, he just he's doing it, you know what I'm saying? So for me, I was already a fan, and was like, man, who is this nasty Nas kid on the Zebrahead soundtrack, and when the hell is his album dropping? You know, right. so when his album finally dropped, okay. Uh, I was already looking forward to, oh, it's my man. And really didn't even know it was the same guy at that time because before right. it was Nasty Nas, right? So right. didn't even realize that, oh, no, this is, he just dropped the Nasty. 
Uh, but but here's the thing: when you know when that all did come together and whatnot, the reason, part of the reason why it's highly highly uh, regarded the way it is, it changed the way hip hop production was approached. This is the first album to have ten different producers on it. Prior to that, Molly Mile produced the album. Whole know, thing. Uh, Herbie right. Lovebug produced the album. You know right. what I mean? Like like that's exactly it. Whole thing. You see what I'm saying? You right. Know, Dre produced an album. Whole right. thing. Right. You know, Doggy Style, like you said, you know, right. whole thing. That's what producers did, right? And it, and it was built that way for a reason, so that there was a cohesive sound, right? So that it was right. consistent and it wasn't all over the place. This was a huge gamble. Shout out to Faith Newman, the A&R that put that together. Uh, wow. A lot of people don't, don't realize Faith, she's a legend, man. She's a legend. Uh, she still works in the industry. She she works for Reservoir Music Publishing currently. Uh, but she's she's uh, there's an article out there in Billboard or Rolling Stone or somewhere. Anyway, that uh, you know she's she's ranked in the top 25 A and R's in hip hop history. Wow, okay? I didn't see that list. And it's because of this this album, right? You know, um, you know it was her idea these 10 different producers you know what i mean who we're gonna get to produce who we're gonna get because there was there was debate oh no you should get primo to do it no 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 get q-tip to do it no 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 get this guy to get it get get large professional to do it no 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 right. you know what i mean and she was like you know what you get one for you you know what i'm saying so Pink. so this album and i remember reading the liner notes and even myself i didn't know i'm looking at trying oh shit. oh yeah we got a primo track oh bet he probably did this whole thing oh no he didn't Oh shit, that's cute. Oh, locker. right. Damn. And I mean, you know, as somebody that was always a study, a student of liner notes, I'm going down this list going, this is a fucking MVP production. What the hell? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. which only took it a whole nother level. And I remember I didn't even do that until like later. Like, I, I bet I had been listening to the album for the longest. Right. Wondered, yeah, who made, who did make this beat, by the way? Oh shit. Okay, Primo. That explains a lot. He probably did a lot on this right. album. And then I'm looking and going, Oh shit! But I'm talking. This is like a year or two after the album been right. out. You right. know what I'm saying? That I'm making this discovery. But but in and of that moment, I mean, that's that's you know, that her doing that changed the way that all albums were produced from that day forward till now. Right, right. I I think there's something to be said too. So I grew up in Flint. Flint, a mm -hmm. hundred, a hundred and thirty thousand people, fifty minutes north of Detroit. Detroit was. You know, for when you know the way we grew up, if you went to Detroit, that was like an adventure. Yeah. Like that was, you know, huge. Like, yeah, I'm going to Detroit. I'm gonna go to Greenfield Plaza and get me a herringbone or yeah. like that was major. So we're up in Flint. And to us, this is one thing I always say for us who were hip hop fans, New York was like a like a like a fairy tale land in a way. I mean, not from the perspective of it being a bright castle and fairy dust and stuff, but it was like this place that we didn't have any concept of other than what we had seen in movies. It was unobtainable. It was, it was, it was like, it was for me as well. You know what I mean? For, like, for a person that was as hardcore a hip hop fan as I was, it was just a place that was like this, just this plethora of creativity. So for us, for us to understand, obviously, like I said, you know, you had movies and this, that, and the third, but for us, us peeking into hip hop was music videos. A little bit of what came on the radio, you know, not much came on the radio, mm -hmm. you know, mixtapes and the source. 
Yep. And I felt like I, I mean, I, I knew who Nas was from the barbecue and back to the grill again and the halftime from Zebrahead. And I remember when they ran that story about Illmatic and they gave it five mics. Mm-hmm. And I think that Illmatic assisted in the source taking another step in its legitimacy just as much as the source, which was the like the manual for hip hop at that time. Oh, yeah, for sure. The critical, mm-hmm. it was the rolling stone of hip hop. Snoop one at one point said, I, I didn't care about being in Rolling Stone, I wanted to be in the source. That's and it. at some point, somebody has to, and I'm gonna say this before I finish. At some point, somebody has to tell the story of the source the right way. Right. You right, know, I know right. there's a lot of stuff in the game about the source, but the source was special. So when the source came out and they kind of anointed him, you know, the poet. This, you know, this is about to be the hugest thing ever. We knew what it was before we even heard it. You know what I'm saying? So I think the source was I, I think this album was a key moment in hip hop journalism as well. Um, there had been stories, you know, written before and this, that, and third, but I felt as though this album really helped the source to jump to another tier of legitimacy. And then ultimately, obviously, when it got involved in the politics in the late ni- late nineties, you know, I remember they marked uh Lil Kim's album La Bella Mafia and gave I think they gave that five mics, and people was like, What the hell? Yeah, like how's this five mics? <laughs> right, right, right. So you know they lost yeah. it due to being, you know, due to the industry pressure, and then you had a whole Benzino thing and all that. But that was something that was important. But I still don't think that the the I still don't think that they would have been able to do that if the music was not what it was and Nas wasn't who he was because Nas as a character was true to hip hop, but also true to the streets. A low-key dude, mm-hmm. and he was respectable. He wasn't wild jumping because you got to think at this time you had, you know, Das Effects and you know Red Man was doing his thing, and they were a little bit more rah rah. Nas was smooth, right? Nas was in the vein of like Rakim, Kane, Granddaddy IU, smooth, but he was, I mean, lyrically just just crazy and observant. He was very observant. One thing we've been studying ethnography um, in my program. In other words, the ability to step outside of your own bias and step outside of yourself and see a situation for what it is and how it's perceived by the people who are participating. And one thing that we study is the fact that ethnographers have to be what they call professional strangers. They have to be able to see things objectively and when you tell that this this one thing that I that I read, it says, should we inquire further, we will find that anthropologists, which Nas technically is, like other human beings, rarely attain their ideals and practice and practice, and that they are increasingly aware of the impossibility of doing so. Field trips, some of them know, must be conducted by humans. Humans are inevitably biased. Therefore, total objectivity is impossible. Mm. So here he is, he's living in the situation, living in the projects, but he's intelligent enough as a 19, he was 19 when this album came out to be able to see it, not from 
when I was 19, I was just living. Yeah. I was just living and I was a product of what happened to me. Oh, I was definitely living. <laughs> it took my third eye to open up to kind of step outside of myself and see the situation that I lived in as being a product of a bunch of stuff. And Nas did that. Nas did that lyrically. Yes. Um, so yeah, he was he was the professional stranger. I thought I listened to the album um and the production. You you talked about I mean it's it's hard to be a great lyricist and have production that is as compelling as the the rhymes being written. And we've seen it happen a lot of times where they don't match. Listen, you want to talk about lyricism and and you know the ability to paint a picture. Uh New York state of mind. You're there. Sinister. You're there. You're 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 that it gives you an insight to what the New York state of mind is like. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You know, it, it, it gives you an insight to that little boy's face. You know what I'm saying? What's going through his mind? You know what I'm saying? Like yes. Uh, it's there. Um, you know, of course, you know, one love, you know. Uh every one of us, you know, myself, you know, included, it, we, we all grew up, you know, uh, you know, for me, I always, you know, hung, hung in the streets, but I wasn't in the streets, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of my friends were, you know, in the streets, you know, yes. but I always, you know, uh, shied away from that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, primarily, people tell, I tell people all the time, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't even because I was scared to go to jail. It's because I was scared to get my ass whooped by my pops. So <laughs> I hear you. So for that, me, I, I was that, the same way. Yeah, I'm safe in jail. <laughs> right. I was I was the same way. And I think about on Life's a Bitch, mm-hmm. it was like this consciousness that's existing within chaos. When mm-hmm. AC said visualizing the realism of life in actuality, fuck who's the baddest, a person's status depends on salary. Mm-hmm. Like, that's true. Like, a person's status in society depends on who has money. Absolutely. And my mentality... What you do for a living. Absolutely. And my mentality is money-orientated. I'm destined to live the dream for my peeps who never made it. So, here you have a person who's young. That's a sensibility that a lot of young people don't get until they get older. Mm -hmm. And we're not even going to talk about Nas's verse on that record. When he said... Fuck about what he say, uh, and it, it. I just drew a blank when he said, um, that book that bought a bottle could have struck the lotto. Yes, yes. That's a yes. sensibility and a wisdom that we weren't hearing at that time. I mean, oh. you were in pockets, and a lot of times it was when we heard wisdom like that, Theo. It was engaged in a lot of five percent ideology. It was in, you know. The brand Nubians and you know yeah. what I'm saying I know X Clan wasn't five percent. They were a little bit different, but, but still, but yeah, that, that, it was the way in which it was conveyed to us was relatable, mm-hmm. but it conveyed a certain degree of wisdom that we weren't used to hearing from a dude wearing a jail suit or a camouflage rain suit with Tim's on. In mm-hmm. my opinion, that's just my opinion. And then you yeah. talk about one love. Vivid story. You know what I'm saying? Represent. It ain't hard to tell. I mean, man, listen. 
<laughs> I remember I saw the video. Then it ain't hard to tell. He said half man, half amazing. I said, oh, he's fine. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I mean, that line right there, half man, half amazing. That um, right there, you know. I and mean, I remember, I remember the shots in the background of it ain't hard to tell when you know he had a club, and you know it's like gutter New York City. You know, and the club is just moving and everybody is it's just a dark place. And then in the back at the same time, you know, he's out in the sunlight and you can see like the big buildings behind him. So it was like New York was like a study in contrast for the people who had never been there. For mm -hmm. me. Yeah, um, you know, it's so one of my favorite places to be. I love it. Every time I go there, it's 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 always like the first time I go there. And, and I go there, you know, when when pre-COVID, I'm there. Four five times a year, you know what I'm saying, yeah. uh, if not more. And uh, yeah. I, I just, uh, like I said, man, every time is like it's one of my favorite places to be, man. I, I love that city, uh, but I, I love LA too. But I love Detroit too. Like I, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, you got me going down some other shit. But anyway, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I just, I just think about how vivid again, how vivid everything was for people who had never experienced it. Like in one, one love when he said, you know, he was talking to my man and then he got up, he said, as I rose wiping the blunt ass from my clothes. I mean, it's though, it's that kind of imagery that puts you there. It's that kind of detail that kind of puts you there. And I think that was his genius. And then I thought about how like uh, my favorite song on the album was always memory lane. Um, he, you know, he, he, when he said um, he dropped out of Cooley High, gassed up by a cokehead cutie pie, I don't think he was talking about a person. I think he was talking about the drug game becoming a bigger motivator to him than being in school. Um, and then in Memory Lane, also, it just, I, as I've been studying these albums with people, I just continue to come across this whole theme about time, Theo. Like people connecting, you know, music connects time in a way and how he talked about the past and you know the 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 you know how the fact that he looked up to the big dope dealers that was you know in the streets when he was young when he was that boy on that cover um and uh, it's it's just capturing those memories and he you know he he spent his whole life writing illmatic truth be told yep um and yeah so it was almost a perfect weapon. It's a great album. It had great production. It had great lyricism. It had really strong cosigns because he had because of who was making the beats on the album. Um, but a lot of people argue uh, increasingly now that it was written was a better album. A better album, yeah. And and you know it depends on it's it that goes to you know first of all music is subjective. Absolutely. And so it goes. We to, definitely know that around here. Like we, you know, I get it. Yeah, it's it's who you're asking, right? So a lot of the people that are you know my age, of course, they're going to say Illmatic over it was written. Uh, some of them will say it was written, but the, I think if you did a poll, the majority of them would say that. Um, and that's exactly it. it. You know, it goes to who's who's in charge. So who's doing the media? Who's doing the podcast? Who's doing everything now? It's all the people your age. Yeah. Just what right. saying. So, so when they're asking the questions, you're going to get the answer from someone that age, right? Uh, because most of the people my age, they're kind of now they've passed the torch. They're stepping out, you know? 
Um, a lot of them are stepping down, retiring, going on to other other ventures and, and things like this. Um, you know, I'm still going strong. I'm just getting started. Like, right, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. It's just I your love. involvement is different, man. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, it just depends on who you ask. I, I do love, uh, you know, It Was Written is definitely uh, my second favorite album, I think, of his. Um, probably most, most definitely my second favorite. You know, I mean, it's got... See, the thing about It Was Written and the reason why I think a lot of people say that is you've got the first real big hit for him i mean like i'm not talking about like on underground i'm talking about like on the radio everywhere yes if i rule the world yes huge you know what I'm saying? um you know that put money in his pockets you know what i'm saying like, yes. uh so 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 you have that there's that so that 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 level of notoriety and fame that was associated with that yes then, but then it also has uh you know got myself a gun no, got myself a gun was on uh was on still Maddie. But but it also had uh Street Dreams. It had Street Dreams on it. It had um affirmative action. It had two joint, it had affirmative action, it had the joint with Dre. I think it was produced mostly by the track masters. What's the, uh, I'm thinking of a song. Let me see what it is. I gave you power by Premier. Yes, that's the song I'm thinking of. When he's, where he's you know, talking where he's rapping from the, the yes. The perspective of a gun. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. I gave you power. That's what I was thinking of. I said got myself a gun, but that's the one I was thinking of. Because you know, that's the first time, you know, we hear this, yes. you know, he's rapping from the perspective of a gun. Was, you know we, what I'm saying? And and how it ends, you know, boom. He, you know, dude shot him, he sets the gun down, and the gun's like, Yes, finally, you know, no more. I won't be I won't be killing anybody anymore. Oh nope, somebody else picked me up. Here we go again. You amazing. know, like like oh shit, you know, like that's so so deep. You know, the gun is the gun don't even want no part of that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, man, well, I just wish I was out of this. And yeah. after the dude does what he does and he drop you know, throws the gun away, my man's like, I'm finally free. Oh, until somebody else got me. Damn. It's a tool. It's a tool. You know, and so so you know, from tracks like that that are so groundbreaking and introspective and, and just you know opening your eyes to think about things from a completely different perspective that you would have never, ever thought about in a million years to songs like if I ruled the world. Absolutely. You know uh, and, 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 you know, like I said, then street dreams was, was, was dope. Uh, Black girl lost was I mean, a huge record yes. for me. Affirmative action is, is one of my all time favorite beats. Yes. Uh, as well as one of my all time favorite, Versus of foxes. You know what? That math don't add up on that verse, but okay. we ain't gonna do that today. Right, right. You know, it's curious that's, about that's that. exactly why though. That's exactly why. Because two, of two halves and such and such. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, but come on now. And, and uh and I never actually took the time to, to follow that. So it doesn't work for that. But uh but it's just the way it's broken down. You know what I mean? Like right, it's just right, right. It's so smooth and so well, like damn she just really put mugs up on game right, right there right, you know? like right so 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 yeah uh yeah there's just so many uh so many dope dope uh yeah so so i i but yeah i don't even know that like i said that it's definitely not my first for me it is definitely automatic could it be my second it's possible um i mean i'm gonna put it to you like this and i know we could talk about it was written another day but the set i mean that it was written has some great records on it. I think Illmatic 
because of the impact, because of what it meant, will probably always hold that title. But it was written was strong. I am the album. I am was strong yeah. to me. I that, am dramatic. That's where I'm gonna go next because that's got Nas's like on it. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, absolutely. That's a primo, baby. So 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 shout out to Nas for being a legend. Shout out to T Dub. You know, I know my friend T Dub is a good friend of Nas's. Um, shout out to 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 you know Nas and his family and all of the fantastic things he's he's done outside of music as well. You know, um, his investing and all that stuff is something that you know people need to know more about as well. Um, and we we give it up to Nas for maybe creating the greatest rap album of all time. I think that's that that is its legacy, and I think that it put hip hop on a level where it was truly regarded by critics mm-hmm. as an intellectual exactly force. that's outside of it too you know where it's coming from from an intellectual standpoint man uh, yes it's uh, and again you, you, you just further uh, yeah embraces that on it you know? so I mean, we so, knew it wasn't but we knew it wasn't the first one we knew it wasn't we, mm-hmm. we know the science you know we know what it was but you know, unfortunately, it took a it, it took a long time. Like we, you know, seventy nine was when Sugar Hill came out. I mean, it, I think it took until it took fifteen years Absolutely. for music to be universally regarded as being a literary piece of work. See, I remember again, I remember when it all first started, and but just rap, and everybody, oh, this is just a fad. This ain't real. This ain't right. last. That's why they weren't worried about sampling. You know, they didn't care. It right. wasn't not until see money and then when they seen the money yeah. wait a minute you know you just made all that money off of my song you sampled Absolutely. my song you know which they are right though like at the end of the day that is what copyright law states it's so funny how Absolutely. everybody just ignored that because it's not like copyright copyright law got rewritten copyright law had already existed people were just ignoring it it was okay they were giving what they call uh ar- artistic um uh you know, license poetic yes, license yes yes exactly exactly right so, so that they have this leeway in, to do whatever they wanted but right. that's not what copyright law stated but nobody wanted to enforce that until they seen the money involved so you know right absolutely when when they could make more money than them lawyer fees would cost they said hey we might have to do something about this absolutely well not that when they seen that the black people were making more money than they were. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's whole whole nother con- you absolutely right give me your plugs Theo. what you want to plug real quick Ah uh, man, um, uh, tomorrow um, I will be at an event that you'll be at actually um, for the uh, uh, United um, uh, United Alliance, uh, right. which is a, a student organization at a U of M Flint. There, um, they have a jam session uh, that, that's going on, uh, speaking about mental health in the music industry. Uh, always, always an advocate for that, man. I, I dealt with enough clients and seen the effects of, of um, you know, mental health and, and what it can do. But, you know, it's one of those things that, it's, it's you know, honestly, it's just like racism. It's, it's one of the conversations that we all need to get comfortable having, even though it's an uncomfortable topic. You know, absolutely. And uh, the more that we all do that, the, the better everyone is. Uh, so, so there's that going on. And, um, mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that, uh, you know, like I said, I encourage everyone, if you're an artist, to sh- sign up for HYM as an artist. It's free. 
uh, doesn't cost you nothing. Look into all of the other organizations that may be out there that may pertain to you. Um, make sure that you're registered with your PRO, ASCAP or BMI, at least as a songwriter, if not a publisher. Uh, anybody that has any questions about any of that, feel free to reach out to me. And how can uh, they do that? How can they reach out to you? Uh, I'm just going to give that. That one is, uh, you can hit me up on uh, socials. All my socials are at ProSound Media, or you can go to the website, uh, prosoundmedia.com. And there's a, you know, you can leave a, there's an info button there to, to leave okay. a message and, and we'll get back to you. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, man, uh, always willing to help out anybody that has any questions about this stuff. You know, our motto is empowering musicians everywhere. And we do that twofold. One, by teaching the, the helping them understand the business of music. And secondly, by going out there and, and uh, managing their rights for them and making sure they're collecting all the money that's due. Hitting them taps. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. So, yeah, we want everybody to like, share and subscribe to this podcast, no matter where you're hearing it on YouTube or on your streaming services. We um, release every Monday um, and make sure that you are following us. Uh, you can follow us at Zero Noise Podcast. You can follow me at Where is Wallace? Um, we want to thank our sponsors one more time. Uh, the Amplify Fellowship. You visit them at Amplify-Fellowship.com. You can also follow them at Amplify Washington. Then there's also Grove Studios. You can follow, you can visit them at grovestudios.space. Come and rent some time at Grove Studios. They got podcasting spaces, production spaces. They've also built in um, a large deluxe room with um, live streaming capabilities. So you can just connect your phone and you can live stream a performance right from Grove Studios. We're really happy about that. And then as always, Leon Speakers, leonspeakers.com. Um, shout out to the team at Leon Speakers. Uh, we've worked really hard to... Um, they, they've worked really hard to make the fellowship as well as this podcast really successful. So I sincerely appreciate them. Um, thank, uh, I just want to say until next time, this is me. This is Rob Wallace. Um, support the artists and the artisans around you because if the music stops, everything else does. Enjoy yourself. Take care and be cool. <laughs>